So we're going to stand as I read the scripture for our sermon this morning. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, and Esther 4, 14. Here's Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that he might redeem those of us who've been kidnapped by the law. Thus, we've been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain you're not a slave but a child? And if you're a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. And from the book of Esther, verse 14, for if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your families will perish. And who knows but that you've come to your royal position for such a time as this. Turn to somebody on your left and right and give three high fives and say, I am excited for church today. I'm excited. Go ahead and grab a seat. Give a high five. I'm excited. Our sermon today is called For Such a Time as This. For such a time as this, and we have a goal this morning, never to bore kids with the gospel. Jim Rayburn, the founder of Young Life Ministry, said it's a sin to bore kids with the gospel. And after the first service, I walked out and I asked a couple of my younger friends, I said, how did we do? Was it boring? And he said, guess what? Two thumbs down. I'm like, oh. (laughs) So the aim is not to bore you. Kids, God's got a message for you this morning. Lisa, God's got a message for you this morning, and Gunner, and everybody in the room, God wants to encounter us through this amazing story about Esther. Our sermon title is called, For Such a Time as This, and as I mentioned, we're in a series of seasons and time. So kids, I've got a question for you. Let's complete this sentence. A lot of stories begin with this phrase, once upon a time. Kids know this, once upon a time. Now, this is a marker. Now, I didn't know it until studying it this week. This phrase, once upon a time, has been used by authors for almost 500 years to mark folk tales and fairy tales. Because when, when, when an author would start, for there was a time like this, or once upon a time, it was a marker in the ancient world before people could read, ah, a really good story is going to be told. Once upon a time, a really good story is going to be told. And that's our, that's our point as we get into this, the message today, that every one of us is in the middle of a story. And it's easy to kind of want the time that you're in to, to be, be past or be, you know, in the future. But it's really important to know that God has you in this time for a purpose. I want to tell you about a difficult time in my life. See, before I was a pastor and a husband and a papa and a daddy and, and, you know, all these things, I was just a kid that grew up in a certain time in Olympia, Washington. It kind of looks like a fairy tale, really. This is my hometown. And when I, was in, when I was 15, I was a freshman at high school, Capitol High School. And in many ways, it you know, kind of was a picturesque place in Olympia, but that was a year of tremendous loneliness for me. And I know for some kids in the room, you, you get it because you know what it's like to be lonely at school and, and older ones too. I think maybe the, the most common thing that our church is facing right now might be loneliness. It's really sad. I was 15 in a freshman high school and I was really lonely. 
See, I had ran for student body president thinking that if people viewed me in a certain way, I'm sorry, freshman class president, I thought if people viewed me as someone in authority, I might have, I might have something going for me, but I lost badly, two thumbs down. I was like trying to establish myself, but I wasn't very kind to people, two thumbs down. I wanted to be liked by the ladies, but guess what? This will be a shocker to you. Pastor Scott didn't have any game. Two thumbs down. <laughs> you hear a theme. And my, my, what story was I in? I was in a really discouraging story. And where was God? I didn't have a faith in God at that time. I became convinced my freshman year that the story I was in was no good. And it was, a, it was a youth leader, a young life leader, who, who started to walk with me and tell me about the power of King Jesus to make a new story in my life. If I put my trust in Jesus, I could live a better story. Now, this is a segue to today's text. I want to tell you this incredible story, a fairy tale, but a real fairy tale, from the Bible, from a young woman named Esther. Has anyone ever heard Esther? Have you guys read Esther in some Sunday school and class stuff? Yeah. That's interesting with Esther because she was like in a real fairy tale, but she was a real girl. She was an orphan, means her daddy and her mommy were dead. She was a slave because her people, the Jewish people, had been taken captive in Babylon. But this amazing thing happens in the story of Esther's life. God uses the time that she's in to build her faith. And almost in like a Hollywood story, like an X-Men type story, God uses this little girl to save her people by faith. It's incredible. And it's unlikely. Because adults and Bible students in the room, you'll know that Esther's really interesting. Nowhere in the book of Esther is God's name mentioned. Nowhere is Jesus' name mentioned. Nowhere is the Holy Spirit. No one actually prays in the book. It's interesting. Some, some have even asked, why is this book maybe even in the Bible? And here's why. Because every story points to the great story of Jesus. Every story in scripture points to the truth of Jesus. It says in the book of Luke that Jesus himself opened the Bible at one point and he sat down with all the Bible scholars and he's like, all right, you guys aren't gonna believe this. But starting with Moses and the prophets, he showed how every single story in the Bible connected to him, our king, King Jesus. And so this story is more than even Esther. It's more than about my own story that I'll be telling you some stories about Pastor Scott. It's all about Jesus, And here's the thing, kids, I need you to hear, and big kids, those of you that are 30, 40, 60, 70, 80 in the room, every season God can use, every time God wants to redeem, and in seasons of judgment, God can establish joy. And the joy of the Lord will be our strength, but for many of us, like Esther and her uncle Mordecai, we'll face judgments and we'll struggle. It's normal, it's hard, it's really hard. So let's, our big idea this morning is simply this, that every season of joy, it comes after season of judgment with faith in God. The story of Esther is ultimately about having more faith in God and speaking out about your faith in God. So two acts we're going to look at at this true Bible fairy tale. Act one is judgment. 
Now, every story is set in the middle of a, of a, you know, kind of like, where does it take place? Esther takes place in Susa, in a faraway place, Susa, that's in actually in modern-day Iran. Now, this is interesting to me, because when Esther was written was after the 70 years that Israel had been in captivity. Israel had not obeyed God, so they were conquered by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and they spent 70 years. But somewhere during that, the king of Persia conquered the king of Babylon, and Cyrus the Great of Persia, the most powerful kingdom the world had ever seen at that point, the Jews were set free. So many of the Jews got a word from God in the book of Ezra, and they go back to Israel, and they rebuild the wall. And there's a story in the Bible about rebuilding the wall. What's that book of the Bible called? Nehemiah. So Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther are three parts of the same trilogy. And so many of the Israelites had gone back to start rebuilding the wall, but Esther and her family had stayed. Why? That's interesting. Why, when they were set free, did they stay under the king of Persia instead of going back to Jerusalem? And this is some of us that are older in the room know that, oh yeah, sometimes we can get stuck in really bad stories. We can feel stuck. And so Esther and her, and her uncle, Mordecai, cousin, it's actually her cousin who becomes like a father figure. So many texts translate uncle or father. Technically, Mordecai is Esther's cousin. There's, there's a bad king. Let's set who the characters are. There's a bad king, King Xerxes. And he's a Persian king, and he's, he's full of himself because it's the biggest kingdom the world had ever learned. And we find out in the text that he drinks way too much. That alcohol is part of his downfall and his pride. He has so much pride. Now, pride is when you want to establish yourself instead of allowing God to establish you. And this guy, to establish himself, he invited everyone and made for them a goblet of gold. They all got to take home their own gold goblet and they had a party. Guess how long this party lasts? In his own name. Hey, come, I'll give you a goblet. We'll celebrate me, my favorite topic. The party wasn't a day. It wasn't three days or even a week. They partied for six months. This guy has an ego problem. And people with an ego problem are busy establishing themselves instead of letting God establish him. He's a bad king. His queen at one point, he's throwing in this midst of the six-month party. He says, Russian Queen Vashti. Queen Vashti's having her own party. And he says, Queen Vashti, I want you to come. She says, no, talk to the hand. King Xerxes, it's not happening. I'm having my own soiree. And guess what? He's like, royal decree, she, she's gone. This is a bad guy. Because men who treat women poorly are not after God's own heart. This guy was oppressive to people. Bad king. And then there's, uh, there's Esther. And her name in Persian means star. And in Hebrew, it, it, the, the combination of sounds, her name means hiding place. Esther was beautiful, and much is made of that, but she's beautiful inside and out. This book is certainly about love, and there's a lot in a modern reader that we, this is a little annoying. It's like a religious The Bachelor, you know, and, and I don't really like how she's assuming power. There's something special about Esther because of her faith in God, but she's scared to reveal her identity. She's hiding the fact that she's a Jew. 
She doesn't want the king to know. She thinks if he knows about their faith in God that, that they might be in trouble or she might not win the beauty pageant. There's her, her uncle, Mordecai. And Mordecai is a really good guy. He has a job at the royal gates. We don't know exactly what, but he sits at the gates. And at one point, even though the king of Persia is this really bad guy, Mordecai overhears a plot. This guy was getting ready to kill the king. And so Mordecai, Esther's uncle, he went and told the king. The king forgot about it, but it'll come up later in the story. Mordecai is a good person. He, he takes his niece, Esther, into his home because For believers in God, the act of adopting or fostering or making more spaces in our families honors God. That's that's being modeled by Mordecai. So we have the King Xerxes, bad king, six-month party, king of Persia. We have Mordecai, really good uncle and a person of faith. And then you have his niece, Esther, who's the hero of the story. And then there's the bad guy. Everyone go, bum, 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 bum. Every, every fairy tale, you need a bad guy. And this story, even though it's a true fairy tale, is no exception. This bad guy, Haman, he was bad news. He, see, he was, a, he was from the tribe that was an ancient Canaanite. Or in the Old Testament, those of you that read the Bible, he was, a, he was an Amalekite. He was, a, he was a bad guy. He hated God's people. And he, like the king, was all about himself. You see, if you read Esther, where he's trying to establish himself, and there's a warning in this book over and over again, let God establish you. No matter the judgment that you're in, Don't cry out for power on your own. So Haman cooks up this evil plan to kill all the Jews. It's horrible. And it's true. And he's almost got the king convinced of it. And in the midst of all that, Esther is hiding because she's scared. It's really normal to be scared to talk about our faith in God. But God is calling all of us to be brave. Listen, Esther 2.20, she's scared. It says this simply, Esther had not made known her people. That She had not made known her people. And so even though God is kind of hiding in this book, and we believe this book is pointing us to Jesus, this book is teaching us about how to be bold about our faith, that there are judgments that we will be tempted to hide our identity under, to hide our faith or to feel discouraged. In the middle of the story, Haman has, has concocted this, this way to kill all the Jews, and he says this huge pull. And he creates this pole outside the king's house. And he wants to kill Esther's uncle, Mordecai, because Mordecai doesn't bow down to him. And so Haman has this pole created that that he wants to kill Mordecai. There are struggles in our life that feel like they'll kill us. There are struggles in our life that feel like obstacles, that feel like they will steal from us our very faith. And this book points in the fact that if we trust in God, we'll be okay. But many, many, many of us struggle with hiding our faith. Remember I told you in my real fairy tale, once upon a time I was 15, I was trying to feel better about myself by making bad decisions. I would try to show off or try to do mean things because I didn't feel good about myself. And at a very basic level, oftentimes the people that are out hurting other people, it's because they have a wound inside. They don't have faith in God. That was my story. 
We went to a birthday party and we went to a movie and I was pretty sure that the, the woman, the mother who brought us to the birthday party was like, you know, not going to be in the movie. So she got us all the treats. We went in the movie theater and I'm like sitting with all these guys. And I'm trying to be cool. I'm like, yeah, watch this, guys. You know, I start chewing up bubble gum and throwing it down in the movie theater trying to get it to land on people or in their hair on their clothes. I mean, who does that? Pastor Scott did. Lord Jesus, forgive me. And I'm like trying to kind of establish myself and I'm trying to be kind of cool like with making bad decisions and all of a sudden there's a hand on my shoulder and a voice, Scott, I see you. It was the woman, the mother. She in fact wasn't in the lobby. She was right behind us. And how easy it is to hide ourselves depending who we're around. And when I was in high school, I don't know if any kids can relate with that, but I was one way with my family and I was one way with my friends, and I was one way in church, and I was one way, and it gets so exhausting trying to figure out how to guard yourself. The best life is the life lived unguarded, where we live by faith, not perfect, but just saying, make me a person of authenticity. Adults in the room, God's got a word for you. Stop hiding, and allow God to minister to your parts of yourself that you're trying to squirrel away. So Esther has this choice to be brave. See, she knows if she goes and advocates to the king that there's been this judgment over the whole Jews, but she knows too that, that whoever goes and sees the king without being ushered in by the king would risk dying. And so it's this huge, huge turning point in the story in the midst of this judgment. Look at Esther 4.19. Her uncle Mordecai says, Esther, if you remain silent, to the king, if you don't tell the king about your faith, if you don't stand up for your faith in God, if you remain silent this time, relief and deliverance of the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your family, they'll perish. But who knows that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. This is Esther, and this is Mordecai. And these are the words of Esther 4.14 put in a cartoon. And this is really beautiful. Because this encourages us to see every time that we're in as an opportunity to witness about our faith in God. See, we, we have this mistake that we think that our time to witness about who God is is only at the finish line. Or that only once God has solved every problem in our life. But what Mordecai says, in the midst of your judgment, Esther, will come deliverance. And so when we struggle, when we ache, it can be an opportunity in the judgment for more joy, more faith, more hope. Mordecai speaks that word. And the other thing that's just really interesting is it's kind of cut. And who knows, he says, Mordecai. I love the mystery of that phrase. And the older we get, the more we have to sit with this mystery of who knows. Mordecai wasn't necessarily a prophet. He didn't know how God was going to intervene. There is an element of mystery in the room, right, adults? Like, it's just a little mysterious. When God intervenes, when not. I love how the scriptures don't try to hide that. But there is an opportunity in every time to let our faith increase. And then Esther says this incredible thing in Esther 4, 16, one of the most bravest things in the Bible. She says this, where she's like, I need to go speak to the king. I need to tell him about my faith in God. I know that it might cost me my life, but she says this, Esther 4, 16, if I perish, I perish. She's like, hey, I, I gotta be brave. I gotta stand up. I gotta do the thing that God is asking me to do right now. 
And church, why I find this so powerful is because for many of us in the room, our faith has become really safe, really private. We don't interact with a lot of people that make us feel like our faith is dangerous. Not all of you. Some of you are like, oh man, you haven't gone to work with me recently. Our faith is meant to take us to the edge of what's comfortable and take one step more, to be growing us, to be stretching us. And yes, at times we will sit under judgments, but in faith we can be brave because God wants to use those difficult things to show us that through our tests come our testimony. Through the things that we're fearful of, God says, I can use to establish you for more faith. You know, I, I kind of, back in my own fairy tale, I'm 15 years old, and the judgment of being 15 and just feeling like my identity was lost, no faith, I mean, it was like two thumbs down, right? And then something happened near the spring of that year as I was trying to turn my life and put faith in God. My parents bought me four tickets for the hottest show in town. This is the late 1980s. This is 1989, 1990 perhaps. And there was a show, Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant. Whoo! This, this was a tough ticket to get. My parents scored four tickets. And kids, you don't know who I'm talking about. That's okay because it's, it was fine. It was a concert. And I didn't really have many friends to invite. I certainly didn't have a girl to invite. And my, I talked to my buddy. He and I were kind of like losers together. And I'm like, should we take our moms? Like, what should we do? And I was trying to like get more public about my faith. And somehow at school one day, I shared, yeah, I'm a Christian and we're going to this concert, Michael W. Smith, you know, friends of friends forever. Okay, you don't know the song? Okay, yeah, you know. And then this amazing thing happened. These girls... Like, we know the song. What? This girl, she was the captain of the cheerleading squad and her best buddy, both cheerleaders, seniors. They're like, we, we love Michael W. Smith. I'm like, you do? I have four tickets. <laughs> Lo and behold, these dorky 15-year-old freshmen took two of the most beautiful girls inside and out to Michael W. Smith, Amy Grant, concert, right? Now, nothing came of it that night, despite many of our dreams and desires. It was just a night concert, but it was this marker for me that God says, listen, you don't know how the story ends, but trust that every story that you're in can grow you to be a person of faith. I want to do surprising things in your heart. I want to take the judgments that you're under. And some of you in the room this morning are like, you don't know what I'm in right now, Scott. Like, it sounds good, your 15-year-old story. It's cute, but you don't get it, okay? Let us normalize for the young and the not-so-young. Faith is hard at times, and you will face judgments and difficulties, but God wants to use those things to establish more faith in your life for joy, for joy. Look at this, this second part of our, our real fairy tale, Act 2, joy, the bad king, Haman, he, he rolls the dice uh, on lives of faith. There's this actual game where they would, they would roll dice. It's called Purim. And these are real dice that are celebrated now in Hebrew culture because of what Haman did. He rolled the dice to say, not just do I want to kill Mordecai, I want to kill every Jew. And we'll do it. He rolled the dice on the 12th, on the 13th day of the 12th month. He's rolling dice for people's lives. I mean, you want to talk about judgment. This is why Esther knows I've got to stand up. 
because this guy Haman must be stopped. He must be stopped. And so she goes to speak to the king. But listen to this. How does she speak to the king? Does she write a speech? No. Does she try to buy him with money? No. She invites him to dinner. And then the king and Haman, the bad guy, who's written the whole death order for the Jews, they come to dinner, and the king says, Esther, what do you want? Tell me. And she says, come to dinner tomorrow. Now, this is really huge, because if we want to change the world, we might be able to do it around our dinner table. And parents in this room, your dinner table with your kids and friends in your kids' lives can be a place of evangelism. Who does God want you to minister through your own table? In the recent George Barna book called Household of Faith, they say that hospitality has a huge marker towards transformation in kids' lives. When open homes, kids see my family is living out their faith. So Esther invites the king to dinner and then invites him back to dinner because around the table, when you care for people, you can kind of speak the truth to them. And then he says, finally, tell me, what, what do you want, Esther? Like, anything you want, I'll give you. And she says, I want you to establish my identity. I want you to know the truth. I'm a Jewish person, and there's been a death order signed because of these dice where every Jew would die. And the king is like, that's horrible. Whose idea was this? And Haman's sitting there eating. He's like, awkward, you know. And Hester's like, it was him. Haman, the bad guy. Long story short, Haman's sin cost him his life. All of his money, by the end of Esther, goes to Esther herself. The king had given a ring to Haman. Haman's ring goes to Mordecai. The things that feel the most difficult in your life can become places of joy. God will establish you in faith if you keep trusting him. On the far side of judgment comes joy. Look at Esther 8, verse 16 to 17. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor in every province, in every city. The edict of the king came where he said, the Jews are now free. There was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. And many people of other nationalities became Jews because of fear of the Jews had seized them. Now, this is amazing. People became Jews because of the transformation. They almost died, but it became a testimony. And there was joy. Our life of faith will never be easy, but may there be much joy because we have a high king. Esther kind of comes across as heroic, but it's nothing compared to our high king of heaven, King Jesus. Listen to this from Galatians 4, verse 4 through 7. When the time arrived, set by God the Father, he sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law, so that we might redeem those of us who'd been kidnapped by the law. We've been set free to experience our rightful heritage. You can tell for sure that you're fully adopted as his own children. We'll stop there. There is joy on the far side of every judgment. Everybody in this room, this time in your life, You're in third grade. You're a mom of three kids. You're a single guy. You're a senior citizen. Every one of us has the time that we've been given. And some of you are in the midst of great tests. And God says, if you continue to trust me, I want to write a new story, a testimony for such a time as this. Because we have a high king who loves us and protects us. 
So whatever happened to my fairy tale, that 15-year-old kid that took the girls to the concert, not much came there, and for a couple years, it felt like a lot of judgment as I turned my life more and more over to Christ. But just every day, I was trying to let my faith grow and into the time that I had been given. And it was high school graduation day, the day we'd all been waiting for. We walked across the stage at St. Martin College, me and my buddies and our caps and our gowns and the tassels, the whole deal. And it was a time of joy. And we're getting ready to head off to the next challenge because life is always a series of judgment and joy, right? We go from joy back to judgment. And we're getting ready to go out to college and new challenges and big celebration. And, and then there's someone that calls me, Scott, 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 Yeah? This guy makes his way through the crowd. I knew him. He was a junior. I was a senior. He's like, hey, man, can I talk to you for a minute? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? He's like, I just need you to know that I've been watching you. I've been watching the way that you live. I've been watching the way you're kind to people. I've been watching the way you try to follow God. And I want you to know that I want to follow Jesus too. So because I've been watching you, I want to follow him too. And friends, this is where the story gets good, where it's not now about my story or even your story in the fairy tale. It's about Jesus, that he wants to use in our life everything that feels like a hardship, everything that feels like a judgment to establish faith for more joy for his glory. May we be a church pursuing him in that way. Let me say a prayer now towards that end. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this morning and this season we're in. Lord, we would ask in faith that we would make much of the time that you have given us. The young and old, we would know that this time matters and that the things that are hard that we endure, that God, you'll be good to us and you'll sustain us. We know there are very real battles being waged in this room right now for kids in classrooms with friends or dating relationships, for purity as substances. We know that being a young person in our culture is so difficult. So God, would you allow them presence of you through their faith in this current judgment? Lord God, as we age, we know the judgments can feel like they increase in frequency. There's loneliness and anxiety and despair. There are many, many challenges we face. But Lord God, you are a God who turns judgment to joy. And so we ask in faith this morning that you would increase in us our hearts of faithfully following you. Increase in us obedience that we don't have to hide aspects of ourselves. Increase in us a willingness to use this time for your glory. May we answer this, this question, God, for such a time as this. What time is it? Would we know that this time matters? Give us courage to ask somebody to Easter Sunday. Give us courage to tell our stories of faith or even to just be praying for the church in the city. God, give us an action step to grow our faith as we follow you. And all God's people said, amen. I'd like you to stand as we close in song. There'll be prayer ministers available to pray with you during worship or at the end of service. Let's close as we sing.